0: The Can He Do That podcast is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard, but today hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ziprecruiter.com slash do that. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. Listeners of Can He Do That can try ZipRecruiter for free. At this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com do that. That's ziprecruiter.com d-o-t-h-a-t, ziprecruiter.com do that. The UK, that's uh, a situation that's been going on for a long time. So I have NATO, I have the UK, which is in somewhat turmoil, and I have Putin. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. Who would think? Who
1: would think? President Trump has spent this week in Europe. He attended the NATO summit in Brussels, and he's visiting the U.K. before heading over to Helsinki next week to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. But what could have been a week of diplomacy has been a week of turmoil and damage control, thanks to Trump's blunt remarks about NATO, about U.S. allies, and about the U.K. Prime Minister Theresa May. Trump's aggressive, provocative rhetoric worries allies, and it has a lot of watchers wondering what it might mean for some of America's most important relationships. But here's the thing. When Trump makes these kinds of remarks, sure, he's trying to get his message across to world leaders. But he's also speaking to
2: another group. I mean, his supporters love this. Um, They love seeing the president of the United States kind of pushing people around on the world stage, kind of being a bully. They like that. They feel like for too long the United States was just solving everyone else's problems. And they kind of like seeing Trump stick it to other world leaders.
1: That's my colleague Jenna Johnson, a national political correspondent at The Washington Post. She talks to Trump supporters all the time. And what she's seen from Trump this week is very similar to the kind of rhetoric he delivers at his rallies. And the people at his rallies, they love it.
0: We will make America strong again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you. A few months ago,
1: another colleague of mine, Terry Rubar, who works on special projects at The Post, she went to a Trump rally in Nashville, and she noticed something. While I was there, I realized that the thing that was very, very different about being there versus watching it on TV or watching it on video online was hearing the crowd, that not having Trump's voice come through the microphone as the main audio gave you a much different sense of the point of these rallies and the impact of these rallies. You get a real sense of the visceral nature of the relationship between the president and the people who come to see a rally when you go there, as opposed to when you're just watching it on TV. The people at the rallies were loud, energized, and excited. And Terry wondered... What does that say about the president's relationship with his base? And how does that base shape the president's approach to things like diplomacy and other policies? What effect could his relationship with the base have on the 2018 midterms? My name is Anne Lee, and this is Can He Do That? A podcast about the powers and limitations of the American presidency. And on this episode, we'll be looking at a group of people that is key to understanding the president, his base. And specifically, at one of the places Trump gets direct feedback from that group, his rallies. I'm filling in as host this week because a few weeks ago, in mid-June, Terry sent Jenna and me out on an assignment to Duluth, Minnesota, Trump was going to hold a rally there. Jenna is an expert at Trump rallies, so she went knowing that we were looking for this information about the crowd. And you went because we needed somebody to really focus on the audio. Jenna's job means that she literally follows the president, which also means that she's been to over 200 Trump rallies. She can tell you anything about them, like just how unique they are. It's
2: not unusual for for presidents to hold big rallies, and it's not unusual for presidents to attract... Thousands and thousands and thousands of people to these rallies. But Trump's different because he's not even pretending these are presidential rallies. These are campaign rallies. (laughs) I mean, the rallies are just like him. He doesn't follow the rules, you know? So, whereas previous presidents, when they were holding rallies, they would have a level of professionalism and, and decorum. And forget it with Trump. Like, Trump does whatever he wants. Um, And and that's how he's approached every aspect, not just campaign rallies.
1: Or how his rallies are often held in places that look a lot
2: like Duluth. So it was during the campaign, I kind of noticed, wow, it feels like we're in the same place over and over again. Um, A lot of times they were smaller places than um, major candidates usually go to. A lot of them were industrial towns on the river, um, places that have seen mills shut down, mining jobs become fewer. A lot of these places also have a small but kind of growing immigrant community in them. And so you might have a little bit more resentment in those communities.
1: Or how there are literally Trump rally groupies who hit up as many rallies as possible to
2: support the president. They call themselves the front row Joes. And it's funny because if you look at local media coverage city to city to city, it's always the same group of people (laughs) because they're the first ones to get there and, and get in line. And they like it because not only are Do they feel like groupies following their favorite band? Like, there's something fun about about this. But they also feel like it gives them the opportunity to kind of set the tone, um, to kind of give media interviews and and pump up that excitement and kind of keep the peace in line. So when Jenna and I headed to Duluth, we had
1: one plan. Instead of focusing just on the president,
0: I'm smarter than they are. I'm richer than they are.
1: We'd focus on the crowd. This was my first rally, and Terry was right. The audience was really loud. And one thing that Jenna and I talked about afterwards was how Trump really knows what
2: the crowd wants. So when we were up in Duluth, that was the day that President Trump signed an executive order to end his administration's policy of separating children from their families when they're caught illegally crossing the border. But was huge news that day. Um, it was on our front page. It was on front pages across the country. It was on local front pages the next day. And, you know, he kind of made a mention of it. But he spent most of the time talking about all of the things he usually talks about about Rallies. He talked about immigration. He talked about how people don't give him respect. He talked about the media. Kind of these evergreen issues that it doesn't matter what day you're at a Trump rally, chances are you're kind of going to hear the same version of of his standard speech. Is that strategic? Does Trump
1: go to these rallies to talk about his policies and get his base excited about his policies and garner support for them? Or... Is he doing something else? Well, I
2: think President Trump gets one thing that we in the media sometimes forget. And that's that most Americans are not sitting on Twitter following every little twist and turn of what's going on. When it comes to kind of the day in and day out maneuvering and, um, you know, things like that, Most people are not obsessed with all of the details, and the president is more than happy to gloss over them and stay focused on the big picture, Um, this idea of let's make America great again. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't matter. Let's make America great again. That's what his power has been with these rallies over the years is just he doesn't get into the nitty-gritty details. He just talks about the big picture, and that's where a lot of people have their focus already.
1: Are there certain points or certain types of rhetoric that Trump uses to get certain
2: responses from the crowd? Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. I mean, this is a guy who can read a crowd. He can kind of tell when people are starting to look at their phones and chatting with their neighbor. You can kind of see him in the moment realize that he needs to recapture people's attention. And a lot of times he goes back to you know, one-liners, those things that get people engaged. So maybe it's prompting people to chant, uh, build that wall or, or lock her up. And, you know, it's a lot of the stuff that... Um, you could kind of label as attacks, stuff that's kind of negative. Um, people love it when he goes after the media. <laughs> um, and we're right there. So they can turn around and, and join in the booing and, and chanting CNN sucks and, and things like that. Um, it's those It's those wild things that kind of get people going. The stuff that usually doesn't happen at a political rally.
0: Those very dishonest people
2: back
0: there, the fake news. They would have said he's exaggerating.
1: So you've said that holding a rally as a sitting president isn't unusual but the way that Trump conducts his rallies is. What are some of the things that he's saying that's surprising for a president to say?
2: So I'm trying to think of a good example from Duluth. I mean, I guess one would be that he went after Barack Obama, his predecessor. Um, That's something that previous presidents might do in a sly way, or they would have members of their administration do it for them. But Trump gets up there on the stage and basically goes after Obama and wants to know why he doesn't get credit for the economy right now, why Obama is getting some of this credit. And the crowd then booed <laughs> the former president of the United States. one
0: of the fakers the other day said, well, I think it's Obama's economy, Obama's economy.
1: Yeah. So I was also struck by that. And one of the things that our fact checker team pointed out was that, you know, Obama took office at the end of the Great Recession and the U.S. economy did, in fact, improve under his watch. And that growth is continuing under Trump. And last week, our fact checkers looked at a more recent rally um, of Trump's in Montana, and they found that of the 96 factual claims that he made there, 76 percent of them were false. Is is that typical for a president at a rally?
2: That is not typical for a president at a rally. Um, While you can get into the finer points of um, presidents have long said things that lacked context or weren't quite right or could be seen a different way, um, we're not talking about that. With President Trump, we have him getting up on a stage and saying stuff that just isn't accurate. <laughs> that's just factually wrong, no matter how you look at it. And that Montana rally is very typical. This was not an off night for him. Um, for as long as I've been going to Trump rallies, um, he has been getting up there and saying anything and everything that's on his mind and really makes no effort to ever correct himself. You know, he'll he'll throw out something that that's not totally accurate, you know, people close to him say, stop obsessing about the facts. You know, like, it's not like he actually believes that this is happening, but he's a storyteller. You know, he's telling a story and you should walk away with the essence of what he's saying, not the facts of what he's saying.
1: Do the crowds at the rallies care? I mean, how should we take that as we think about how the crowd and Trump interact?
2: I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of false information out there. Um, so often I'll be interviewing someone and they'll say something like that and I'll come back and say, well, that's not quite true. Here's some other information. And, um, it's not like they become very hostile and are like, it's not like they double down on the falsehoods. It's more of like a shrug and like, oh, good to know, you know, now I know that. And You know, sometimes. Does it change their minds, big picture, though? You know, yeah. And I mean, that's the big question is when someone has a strong position on something that's really kind of rooted in a complete misconception of what's actually happening. A great example of this is that if you're an undocumented immigrant in the United States, you cannot. In most cases, you cannot just apply for citizenship. And so a lot of times I'll talk with people who will say, well, they've been here for 10 years. Why didn't they apply for citizenship? And you kind of explain that to them. And they're like, oh, well, you know, uh, and then maybe they'll throw out some other thing that they've, they've, they've heard that's not quite right. And a lot of times I'll kind of push them and push them and push them. And at the end, I kind of get this like hands up in the air you know oh well i think so often people and this is on both sides of the aisle you know people just get very locked into a position and it doesn't matter i mean they like having facts to back up what they're saying but if those facts end up to not be true they they don't it doesn't necessarily change that that core argument what are trump supporters hoping to get out of these rallies when the president comes to their town it's an experience it's like going to a rock concert or a circus or or some big event that, that's happening in, in your community, and people want to be part of that. In the early days when Trump was first running for office, I would often run into people who didn't think they were even really going to vote for him, but they had just heard about these rallies and they just wanted to check it out. I find fewer of those people now. I mean, if you're going to... You know, maybe take some time off of work, um, drive several hours across the state, and then wait in line for hours and hours and hours. A lot of times in the hot sun, sometimes it pours rain. A lot of people who don't even make it in, that takes a different level of dedication. And I think that. The supporters that I find at rallies now are the people who would who would label themselves as kind of diehard supporters. And, and basically, there's nothing Trump could do that would make them lessen their support for him. Um, they really, really believe in him. And these rallies are... A reminder of why they voted for him. You know, there there have been some things that haven't gone their way. They've watched this trade war develop into something that could actually hurt businesses and in their small communities. But when you come to a Trump rally, you can celebrate just the successes. And a lot of people say that they come out of these rallies just fired up. You know, and, and recommitted um, to this thing that they bought into so many months ago.
0: The Can He Do That podcast is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash do that. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. Listeners of Can He Do That can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com do that. That's ZipRecruiter.com d-o-t-h-a-t. ZipRecruiter.com do that.
1: Of course, the rhetorical strategy Trump uses to form a relationship with his supporters at rallies extends beyond the stadiums and convention centers. We see it in his public statements and his policy decisions. He's responsive to what he thinks will play well with that group, whether that's antagonizing NATO or taking a hardline stance on Brexit. Administration officials told our reporters this week that Trump sees his disruption abroad as a political benefit back home. And on domestic issues, Jenna says Trump's responsiveness to his base was also evident recently on the question of reuniting immigrant families. When it came to separating families at the U.S.-Mexico border, Trump's base
2: supported taking an aggressive stance. But still. People didn't like it. They don't like the idea of... Young children not being with their parents, no matter what their parents did, that um, something about it just just didn't feel right. And I think that's why we saw President Trump so quickly sign an executive order um, to end it. Trump's strategy seems to be working. Among
1: evangelicals in particular, support for the president has been unwavering. But the same statements and actions that get rally crowds cheering can set moderates on edge. So I wanted to ask Jenna about how this all plays as we think ahead to the midterm elections. Are Trump rallies an asset or a liability to Republican candidates running in 2018? Jenna says it depends on a lot of factors, like if the candidates are in districts that support Trump or not, or if they're trying to take down Democratic incumbents, or whether or not they're trying to protect their own seats.
2: For this handful of seats that Republicans are hoping to take over, the president could be an asset. I mean, he's really popular in these places. When we were in Duluth, I was really kind of taken by just The genuine excitement that was in the arena that night, you had a lot of people there who had never been to a political rally and they were excited to be there. And and there was just an energy there, you know, for for candidates running there. That's the greatest publicity they're ever going to get is being able to come onto stage with President Trump and speak to their crowd. But when you look at seats that are held by Republicans that Democrats could take over, Those are the Republicans who are very hesitant to have the president come talk there. A lot of times the president is not popular in those areas. And those candidates are having to be more moderate so that they can not only keep Republican voters, but win over a lot of independents and a lot of Democrats, people who are not trusting of the president. So
1: can Trump succeed in 2018 or even 2020 by just focusing on his base?
2: Those aren't necessarily the The people that the president and the Republican Party needs to be worried about, those people are probably going to support the president no matter what. They need to be worried about establishment Republicans who held their nose and voted for the president, even though they didn't agree with him. They need to worry about independents who voted for the president but could be easily swayed um, to vote for a Democrat in future elections. And they need to worry about Democrats who rolled the dice and voted for a Republican this time. Those are the people that are going to be playing the most powerful role in the midterm elections this fall and in a future presidential election.
1: Thanks for listening to Can He Do That from The Washington Post. We'll be taking a couple of weeks off. In the meantime, make sure to check out our special series exploring wave elections that changed control of the House of Representatives. That's something that's only happened three times in the past 60 years. It's called How to Flip the House, and it looks at these three major elections to find out why they happened, how they changed our political system, and most importantly, what they tell us about what to expect this November. You can find it in your regular Can He Do That podcast feed or at wapo.st/how to flip the house. Can He Do That was hosted and produced today by me and Lee, with design help from Kat Riddell Brooks, logo art from Lorraine Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. Special thanks to Jenna Johnson and Terry Rupar for coming on the show.